0: Well, uh, thanks from me also for being here this morning. My name's Steve Wallen. I'm the executive pastor here at Genesis Church, and uh, it was nearly ten years ago now. In October of 2010, I was sitting in a friend's basement, and our lead pastor Paul Mumaw came up to me and said, um, "Steve, I was out running today, and I think the Lord told me that you're going to be our next staff member." I laughed at him (laughs) because I know that sometimes when you're running, your mind does crazy things, right? Uh, You hear strange thoughts, you think strange thoughts, you hear strange voices in your head, and uh, I laughed at Paul, and I said, ha-ha, uh, it's not me. I'll help you find the right person, but it's not going to be me because at the time, uh, I was working for a company that I love very much. I was making a six-figure salary with a job that I loved. I was director of human resources. I had invested 21 years of my life in this company. I was making a very comfortable living. And uh, just a few years before that, my wife and I had built our dream home that I had designed, and she had served as the general contractor. And there was no way we could afford to live in that house on a ministry salary. And there's no way that God would have given me that house if he wanted me to then sell and move out of it, right? And so, and plus, I didn't feel the call. I'd never felt the call into full-time vocational ministry. And so I said... Uh, as much as I love Genesis, as much as I love serving on teams at Genesis, and I loved being an elder at Genesis, which I'd been an elder before that, I said, thanks, but no thanks. <clears throat> and my wife, who was standing right there beside me, Benita, if you guys know her, you know that she has <clears throat> always had more faith than I do. She looked at Paul and she said, I can see it. <laughs> I'll never forgive her for that. Um, So fast forward a few months, Uh, January, 2011, I am on the mission field in Haiti with Paul. And uh, we're building some stuff and we're doing some things at Nehemiah Vision Ministries, our ministry partner down there. And this woman comes on campus, beautiful woman, and she is in a wheelchair and one of those hand crank wheelchairs. And it's really hard to get across the gravel in this thing anyway, but her chain keeps popping off and she can't figure out what's going on. And I look at it and I'm a bicycle guy. And it's exactly like a bicycle, so I know what's going on, so I'm able to fix it. And because I fixed her, uh, her wheelchair, she invites me into her home. And so our team is there, and this uh, woman invites me into her home, and her kids and her grandkids are living in this home with her. And I walk into her home, and it's about uh, 10 feet by 12 feet. It's about the size of my guest bedroom in my house. And she has seven relatives living with her at the time. And uh, the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, "You have rooms the size of this woman's house in your house that you never go into." And uh, the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart in that. And so a couple of weeks later, I'm back in the United States. it's January, still the end of January 2011. And I'm uh, before work in the morning, I'm having quiet time in my basement, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying. And as clearly as I'm speaking to you right now, I heard the Lord say to me, "You need to sell your house." That was all He said, "You need to sell your house." And I was like, who is this? Uh, Because I know there's no other people in the basement. And uh, so I finish my time with the Lord and I go upstairs and my wife said, how was your quiet time? And I said, "Uh, it was good. Um, I think we're supposed to sell our house. And she said, "Uh, did the Lord tell you that? I said, yeah, I think he did. And so she said, okay. And so, um, Later that week, we called a realtor, and we put our house on the market. It's January 2011. January, February, March, first half of April, we not only don't get an offer on our house, we didn't have a single showing, not one showing. We reduced the price a couple times. Our, my realtor said, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what's happening. She said, I know it's a tough time in the housing market, but this this has never happened. And so I, I was getting angry. Like, Lord, I thought you told me to sell this house. Why is it not selling? I, I don't know what to do next. And so one morning in April, I'm in the basement, I'm praying and reading my Bible. And uh, the, the Lord spoke to me one more time and he said, you need to quit your job. And I thought, uh, I need to quit coming down here because <laughs> our, our new house doesn't have a basement in it and there's a reason, okay? Um, no, I said, God, that's not how this works. You don't just go in and quit your job. We sell our house, I'll get a new job and then I'll go quit my job, right? Do you ever just give it to the Lord when you're praying? Do you ever do that? You should do that sometimes because he's a big God. He can take it. He can handle your harsh words, all right? And so I'm just giving it to him. And he said, I need you to quit your job. And so I walk upstairs and my wife said, how was your quiet time? And I said, I kind of like this, my my head in my hand. I said, "Um, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. And she goes, did the Lord tell you that? I said, yeah, I think so. It's not something I would have come up with. <laughs> she said, no, that's not how this works. We have to sell our house, and then you go get a new job, and then you quit your job. I said, that's what I told him. <laughs> but he didn't listen. So that week, April 16, 2011, I went into my boss's office completely out of the blue, and I said, uh, we're, we're in a meeting. We're starting a meeting. And I said, hang on a second. Before you start, I think I'm supposed to quit. And he said, quit? What do you mean quit? I said, like quit my job. I've been there 21 years. I said, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. I said, but I think it's supposed to be in ministry. And it was probably the hardest conversation I ever had to have. Um, But I'm not kidding you. On that day, it was a Wednesday. I remember it very clearly. It was Wednesday. Um, Right after lunch, I get a call from my realtor. We have our first showing in the house after I quit my job. Uh, the ne- they came on Thursday, the next day. They came back on Friday. And on Saturday, we had a full price offer. And we had, we had 23 days to get out of our house. And so I realized all of a sudden in April of 2011, I found myself homeless and jobless uh, without knowing anything about what was gonna happen to my future. But you know what? God had me right where he wanted me. And in August that year, I came on staff as the executive pastor at Genesis Church. And then a year later, we launched this Carmel campus here. I became the first campus pastor here. We, we brought 120 people from our Noblesville campus to launch this. And now we've grown, uh, eight years later, we've grown from the 130 hardy souls that came from Noblesville to the 350 to 400 we average here every week. Across two campuses, we're averaging over 1,000 people in worship every week. Um, God has been so good. We have so much to be thankful for. And. And I have been blessed not to lead that growth, the Lord is leading that growth, but to be a part of a church that is following what he's asked us to do. And so we're beginning this new series, as Jerry said today, called Greater, and for the next six weeks, we're going to walk through the life of a man named Abram, who later becomes known as Abraham. You probably know him as that. And his story is found in the book of Genesis, and it's a story of great faith and great sacrifice and great surrender. And then alongside Abraham's story, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what we believe the Lord has called us to do as a church, what he's prepared for us for this next chapter of Genesis Church. We've been praying and preparing for this vision for about a year now. And uh, I think it's the next chapter for us as a church is, is going to take great faith and great sacrifice and great surrender. But I believe this series is also supposed to be a personal series for each of us. And so while the Lord has a greater vision for Uh, our church. He had a greater vision for Abraham. I believe he has a greater vision for your life as well. And uh, God has a greater vision for each of us than we could ever imagine. He saved us. He's calling each of us and he wants every person. He wants every one of us in here to be greater in so many ways. And uh, he'll use that, I believe, so that more and more people can find their way back to God. Now, as Jerry mentioned, you should have received uh, this booklet when you came in. Uh, This is going to be our guide for the series. There's a couple things in here. One, it's your guide to the greater initiative. We're going to talk about this over the next six weeks. So uh, you'll probably look through it today. You won't understand all of it. That's okay. Over the next few weeks, we'll kind of unroll what's happening there. Uh, Also, as Jerry mentioned, on page 18... Uh, there are there's a place to take message notes. And I'd love for you to do that. Um, if you want, you can use those when you're a group, if you're in a connection group, when they get together, you can use that to discuss. So if you have that, uh, turn it to page 18. Um, and we're using the title today, Greater Calling. At the top, you see each sermon has a uh, greater blank. So if you want to put that in there, Greater Calling is what we're using today. Um, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these blue ones on the floor around you. It's page eight in this Bible. If that gives you an indication of how early we find Abram's story, page eight. It's really hard to overestimate uh, Abraham's significance in human history. Uh, three major faiths today Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all claim Abraham as kind of the father of their faith, as one of the founders of their faith. And together, they account for more than half of the planet's population, like four billion people consider Abraham to be their father in a way. And so even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I think you can see how his life has had influence on the world and on human civilization as a whole. Personally, I love the story of Abraham because he was a man who followed God by faith. Hebrews 11 uh, calls Abraham out specifically as following by faith. And because of that, he experienced greater things in his life. And he's going to be a great example for us in this series because his life and calling provides a picture of how God wants to use every one of us And so Genesis 12 takes us way back uh, to a time where virtually no one believed in the one true God. The the moral condition of the planet was pretty grim. And instead of seeking to know God, everybody had their own superstitions and they kind of wrote their own moral code. And the creator God could have decided just to shut it all down. In fact, at one point he almost did with Noah. If you read that story just a couple chapters back, Um, but God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And so he started with a plan, a plan to redeem the world beginning with one man, this man that we now know as Abram. Scholars believe that Abram and his family lived around the early Bronze Age, about 2,000 years before Jesus in a thriving culture known as Ur of the Chaldeans. You can see it on a map right here. It's, uh, think modern day Iraq. Um But it's in a place that was known at the time as Mesopotamia, kind of that Middle East area. And people in Mesopotamia worshiped a wide range of gods, um, mythical gods uh, that were all led by the moon god, who ironically, the moon god was named Sin. I didn't make that up. Um, and they regarded sin as the Lord of heaven. And like his relatives and neighbors, uh, Abram would have also worshiped these false gods. And, and even so, the one true God decided to appear to Abram one day and give him a vision for something greater. We'll start in Genesis 12.1. So if you have your Bibles there, it says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, what I want you to know is that Abram had done nothing to earn the Lord's favor in this. Uh, Whatever the reason, God appeared to Abram and said, you go, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household and go where? Well, to the land I'll show you. God was calling Abram to leave most everything he had, everything he had known to go to this new place, but I'm not gonna tell you where. You see why this required great faith. But if you go along the way, when the time is right, I will show you but God's calling wasn't just about where they were going. God's vision for Abram also included what he intended to do for Abram and what he was going to do through him. And so in verse two, we see this. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Translated, Abram, if you follow me, if you trust me, I'm going to do something great in your life. In fact, something greater than you could even imagine or hope for. And do you know what? What God did for Abram, I believe he wants to do in your life too. God has a great, amazing plan for your life. It's a vision for your life that's so significant and so full of joy and satisfaction that it might be a little bit scary for you. In fact, I guarantee you that God's vision for your life is so much greater than your vision for your life. So fast forward from Abram's life about 2,000 years later and this baby named Jesus would be born from one of his descendants. That's one of the cool things about Abram's uh, promise that he got from God. He said, "You you will be made a great nation and a great people. And out of that great people came Jesus And now another 2,000 years later, that promise is passed along to us, to you and to me. And if you call yourself a Christian, you have a part to play in God's redemptive plan for this world. Like Abram, obeying our calling is critical in helping people find their way back to God. And so as we step into this greater vision, uh, greater series as a church and this vision for our church, we need to first stop and consider that Abram's calling forces us to answer at least two questions for ourselves. And so if you, if you are a note taker, go ahead and write these questions down. The first one is this, who am I following? Who's in charge of your life? Who is the one that sets the ground rules in your life? Who is the one uh, that gets to decide what you're doing next? Is it you or is it God? Now, if you're a Christian, you know what the answer should be. But what is the answer really in your life? Because trusting God means surrendering every part of your life to him. Go back to Abram's story and look at the command God gave him again. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. God didn't give him all the information up front. Abram had to have faith. It's like God looks at Abram and says, hey, trust me and follow my lead. That's what faith is, right? Trust me and follow my lead. It's putting our hope and confidence in God that he's, he knows the way. It's choosing to live under his leadership and under his authority. And sometimes, guys, that's really frightening. I mean, in my story, I think that's why God had to give me one step at a time. He, knows, he knew that if he showed me the whole picture, I probably would have shrunk back from it and probably would have said no or been too afraid to take the first step. I mean, just think if God had said, hey, in the next six months, I want you to quit your job, take a pay cut, go work for the church, sell your dream house, move to a new school district, and reevaluate your whole future and everything you find security in. I have uh, this a no from me, <laughs> right? So he didn't. In his gentle way, he only showed me the next step and waited for me to be obedient to it. And believe me, I'm in no way comparing myself to Abraham, but that's what Abraham had to do. And make no mistake, he wasn't perfect either. He's no, no superhero. Uh, The man made plenty of mistakes, and we'll talk about those over the next uh, few weeks. We'll see some of those mistakes. But Abraham had to make a very personal decision, a decision that impacted his entire family and, in fact, generations of his family. He had to say yes to following God. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. We have to make a personal decision to follow God today, tomorrow, and every day after for that matter. I mean, you may have made a decision at one point in your life that I'm going to follow Jesus, but don't you have to manage that decision every day when your circumstances get hard, when something comes along? Like, am I going to follow God through this thing, or am I just going to try to find my own way? Maybe that's just me, but I got to make that decision. I got to manage that decision on a regular basis. I need to say yes to following God. He's got a greater vision for every one of us and our willingness to say yes to him will determine where we end up in life. There's another question that Abram's story forces us to answer and it's this, where is my security? The question of security for Abram was huge because God wasn't just calling him to a new life in a new place. He wasn't just calling him to something new to add something to his life. Like sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we think, yeah, if I could just add a little Jesus to my life, that would be a lot better. That's not what he's calling him to. He's he's not just calling him to uh, change his morality or like maybe live a little nicer life. He's calling him to a whole new life. I mean, in those days, family and property were everything. You didn't have bank accounts and stocks and bonds and 401ks uh, for, your, for your security, for your investment. What you owned was the land that was passed down from generation to generation to generation and the livestock that was housed on that land. So in that light, think about what this calling meant for Abram. I love how author Sandra Richter says it. She put it this way. She said, in other words, leave everything and everyone that makes someone in a patriarchal society secure and trust God for a new identity and a new place. Take a moment to translate this into your current economic and social situation. You leave your job or your house, your job, your friends, your church, your relatives, abandon your inheritance, a 401k that will not transfer and maybe even the equity in your home and go somewhere where you don't speak the language, you have no business contacts, friends or relatives and trust God to make a new place for you. This was a very tall order indeed, especially in light of the fact that we have no evidence that there was any prior relationship between Yahweh and Abram. Now, if you're gonna truly follow God and believe him for greater things in your life, you're gonna have to ask yourself, can I find my security in God or am I gonna find it in something else? And can I tell you where most of us uh, in the US, especially in the suburbs, where we find our security? It's in money, right? Isn't it true? The power, the influence, the security that money has on us, uh, it impacts us all in different ways. I mean, for me, money was the one thing that almost stopped me from following God's call in my life. I've got this job that pays too much. I've got this house that costs too much. There is no way, God. And so what did God do? He said, you need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of that. Those are the things that are stopping you from following me. And because of its influence over our lives and the so-called security we find in it, we, a lot of us see money as a thing to collect, right? We, we hoard it, we, we save as much as we can, uh, we spend what we want, but then we save the rest and we keep it. And then when, when we're all done with our lives, we pass it on to our kids or our grandkids when we're gone, but that's not how God sees it. Psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, he blesses everything that I have, everything that you have, it all belongs to the Lord. And when you adopt that as your mindset, uh, this idea of following him becomes a lot easier. You know, he blesses us, not so that we can accumulate and consume, but so that we can be a blessing to others. Look back at what he told Abram, verse two. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, you uh, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And then look in the New Testament, what the apostle Paul wanted to teach Christians about money in 1 Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, when you read that verse and you think Paul is talking to rich people, you may think, well, he's a good thing he's not talking to me because I'm not rich. But the truth is that all of us in this room are rich from a worldly standard. And and for those of us who have hope in Jesus, we are so much richer we can imagine. And to paraphrase Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, (laughs) with great wealth comes great responsibility. God has a vision for your life. He has a vision for the way you live. He has a vision for your livelihood. He has a vision for the way you view and use the financial resources he's given you and that's why he's trusted them to you. And he's trusted them to you and you, Genesis Church, have proven worthy. I mean, as a church, You are part of a very generous church because of your generosity. The church is able to be generous to others. Just give you a couple of examples. Because of your generosity last year, we were able to give away nearly $200,000 to help meet the very real physical needs in our communities and around the world. Places like Myanmar and Albania and Haiti and the east side of Indianapolis are better off today because of your investment in Genesis Church. Because of your generosity, we were able to send 110 middle and high school kids to camp or to a mission trip in Haiti last year. Because of your generosity last year, we were able to uh, train and equip over 360 adults to make disciples through connection groups here at Genesis. We provided food for IPS students over spring break. We provided backpacks and school supplies for students in Hamilton County, and nearly 700 items for our friends without homes in Indianapolis through Food for Souls, and we're just getting started. Because just like God presented Abram with a choice, he presents us with the same choice. We can hold on to what we have and live a really comfortable life or we can trust him and live with open hands and believe that he has something greater for us, a whole new way of life. Now, I told you this series was about something greater that God has for your life as well as for our church. And I wanna show you, at least introduce you to the greater vision. We've put together a video uh, to share this with you. Take a look.
1: Helping people find their way back to God. That's our church's mission going all the way back to 2003 and the very first days of Genesis Church. It comes right out of 2 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul reminds us that if you're in Christ Jesus, you not only have new life, but you have been given the task of helping others find their way back to God. Genesis, I'm so encouraged. Over the years, I've watched God increase this passion in our church. Many people have found their way back to God. Some of you Your kids, your friends, your mom or dad or neighbor, their their lives have been forever changed by Jesus and the impact of Genesis Church. I've been reflecting on our church's history lately and one thing I've realized is that we have so many defining moments great moments when God called our church to take a bold step of faith and I won't pretend like it was always pretty or seamless but there are so many great moments in our history when we stepped out in faith as a church and God was faithful in leading us into an exciting new season it was certainly a great step of faith for those who helped launch Genesis back in 2003 or when Genesis located to our current Noblesville facility in 2007 I remember when we made the decision to move from one to two worship services in 2009 and building out the Noblesville campus in 2010 and finally launching the Carmel campus back in 2012. Every one of our defining moments has required sacrifice but has been driven by a desire to be obedient to the Lord as well as our passion for helping people find their way back to God. I'm so grateful we took those steps of faith as a church. Do you know what? We can't stop now. There's more to do. Even right now, there are far too many people around us who are lost and far from God. And if it's really our desire to follow Jesus and to complete the mission He has given us, then we have to come to terms with the fact that there is more work to be done as well as some big challenges to overcome. Now, before I share some of the challenges, let me share some great news. To start, our church is growing. From kids to students to adults, we unveiled our disciple-making pathway this past fall. We have more people in connection groups than ever before, and God is raising up kingdom workers in our church. As much as we have to celebrate, the fact is that we find ourselves with some really big obstacles holding us back from moving forward. But just as we've done in the past, it's important that we trust the Lord to lead us in overcoming these obstacles because as long as there are people far from God, we have work to do. There are a few specific things that threaten to hold us back as a church right now. To start, the lease on our Noblesville facility expires in October of this year. We can stay if necessary and we'll likely need to for a short time, but the truth is that we need a new home, a more permanent location. Now, why? Well, to start, we're running out of parking space with no easy solutions. Add to that, the future planned expansion of Pleasant Street has forced us to be mindful that already limited parking could be lessened in years to come. But it's more than parking. The, the fact is that leasing a building, especially an older building, restricts us from doing some things that we believe are important if we want to keep reaching others. Listen, it'd be much easier to stay. I've thought it from time to time over the past year, but every time I've started to think we should stay, I hear the Lord saying it's time, it's time for us to go. And so the Noblesville facility is certainly our biggest challenge right now, but let me also add that we continue praying about the future of our Carmel campus. I I love our Carmel location and I hope you do too. It's a gift, but also a building we lease. For those reasons, we don't know exactly what our future looks like here. We hope to stay as long as we can, but we know that as our Carmel campus continues to grow, there's gonna come a day very soon where we will have to expand to make room for more. And these aren't our only challenges, because as a growing church, we're committed to do everything we can to keep our ministry strong and growing and well-funded. And if what we believe can happen with our disciple-making strategy comes to be, we know we're going to see more and more people finding their way back to God, which means our church and our ministries growing. So don't get me wrong. I don't think of these as problems. These are these are great challenges. I promise you that there are churches out there right now that would love to have these kinds of challenges that we're facing. And these challenges—they're not unique to me either. Uh, your staff feels it. Your elders feel it. Many of you feel it. And that's why I believe that God has been preparing us for this moment together. And so Genesis. I believe that we stand on the verge right now of another defining moment, maybe the greatest moment we've faced so far. And for those reasons, it's time for us to take a greater step of faith and follow God into what I believe is gonna be an exciting new season for Genesis. It's been about a year now since our church leaders acknowledged together that God is preparing us for something new, a two-year journey we're calling greater. Because the truth is that God has something greater for Genesis, a greater vision that we could ever hope or imagine for. The idea of greater comes from John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says that he, that Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. And when you think about it, isn't that what we want for our lives? Isn't that what we want as a church, for Jesus to be greater? I think you know this to be true, but God has promised that if we follow him, if we trust him, that he is able to do greater things than we can imagine. And right now I'm convinced that he's challenging us to greater faith and action that will result in Jesus becoming greater in our lives, in our church, in our communities, and in this world. And so that's why I'm excited to say that we're about to go after the biggest thing we've ever attempted for God. And I'm telling you up front that it's gonna take every person, every single one of us to go all in for this greater vision. Here's what we're praying. Here's what we want to see the Lord do through Genesis these next two years. We're praying that the Lord will provide $7.5 million over the next two years to help us reach our cities, make disciples, and change the world. Let me kind of break these down for you. To to start, we want to raise $3 million to reach our cities. God is calling us to have greater influence in our communities by providing facilities that allow us to grow and connect in greater ways. And we believe this will be best accomplished by building a new facility for our Noblesville campus as soon as possible. Now, you might be wondering what a new Noblesville facility would look like. We think it would look a lot like Genesis, something inviting, easy to find. New and simple, non traditional. And we're dreaming about a building that could be a resource to the community, something open to our neighbors seven days a week, a facility that would provide needed space for worship, our growing Gen Kids and student ministries, as well as other things. I wanna stress that while the primary building project focuses on Noblesville now, there's a really good chance that we're gonna be having the same conversation concerning the Carmel campus and additional Genesis campuses in the near future. And so just as I'm asking those of you from the Carmel campus to participate for the sake of our church today, I'll be asking our Noblesville people to invest in Genesis Carmel now as well as in the future because we're one family, we are one church together. But the greater vision is more than a building. We also see this as an extremely important opportunity for our church to grow together in generosity and continue making disciples. Right now, God is using you and the ministries of this church to make an eternal impact in people's lives. And so in addition to the $3 million for a facility, we are also asking the Lord to provide $4.2 million over the next two years so that we can continue funding for things like Gen Kids and GSM, pay the electric bill and the leases on our facilities. $4.2 million over two years provides scholarships for things like Spring Hill Day Camp, staff salaries, resources for ministry partners and missionaries, as well as things like bagels and coffee on Sunday mornings. It's important that you see that our $7.5 million goal over two years provides $3 million for a new Noblesville facility and $4.2 million for two years of regular operating expenses. And one more thing, in addition to reaching our cities and making disciples, we also realize we have a great opportunity to change the world with our generosity beyond Genesis. This greater vision allows us to give an additional $300,000 away above what we're already giving as a church right now we're praying for how those gifts might be used and we get really excited when we think about ministry partners like icf church in albania a formerly communist nation albania had zero churches and four known christians in 1991 but god is moving in albania through many churches today and icf church is a big part of it in fact over the past nine years icf church has helped to start 74 new churches in albania they currently have have around 200 people in their church and they desperately need more space and so we want to help them find a bigger home so that they can continue growing with their ministry and influence. Add to that, we also see this as an opportunity to be a blessing in our own community because I don't know if you realize this or not, but homelessness in Hamilton County is on the rise. For example, one of the things we've learned from Noblesville Schools is that there are currently over 100 homeless students in the Noblesville School District alone. And this is one of the many issues our local schools face and are trying to address, and so wouldn't it be great if God could use Genesis Church and if our generosity could be a solution For some of the growing needs in Hamilton County right now and finally we also love what we see happening with adoption and fostering in our church God's doing something really special in so many of you I I once heard someone say that there won't be any orphans in heaven why should there be orphans on earth and so what if a portion of this three hundred thousand dollars could be used to help with adoption and fostering through our own church right here in our own community Genesis, that's the greater vision. It's a two-year journey to raise $7.5 million to reach our cities, make disciples, and change the world. And obviously, this is an incredible leap of faith, one that's going to require prayer and sacrifice. But can I tell you something? The $7.5 million is the secondary goal. There's an even bigger, more important goal that takes front seat in this greater vision. The greater goal is for every single person at Genesis to experience God in significant ways by taking the next steps of faith and generosity, by growing in their trust of God with their finances, and by jumping all the way into the kingdom work of helping people find their way back to God. That's why I'm praying for 100% participation from everyone in our church over these next two years together. It's time, Genesis. God is moving. It's time to take this next great step of faith together. We're calling it greater because we believe that Jesus must become greater. We must become less. And isn't that what we want and should aim for with our lives? Isn't that what we want for our church? We want the name of Jesus to be greater than anything else in this world. Well,
0: that's a really quick outline of the greater vision. We're going to spend some time over the next six weeks unpacking some more of those things that Paul talked about in those three buckets, the uh, reach our cities, make disciples, and change the world. But I I hope that gets you excited. I'm really excited about it. We've been thinking about it for a year and praying about it for a year. We've been wrestling with it for the last few months, and... uh, I'm really thankful that we get to think about these kind of things, but I want to make it clear. This is not just a Noblesville building campaign. This is not a Noblesville campus thing. Uh, If if we're able to hit our goals during uh, Greater, we will be able to make some in needed improvements to the Carmel campus as well as to put some money aside because one day we're going to have to move. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but Carmel is growing up around us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's going to be a time either from our growth as a campus or from uh, the things that are happening around us that we're going to have to figure out what's next for the Carmel campus as well. And so uh, I'm excited about this. Why, why are we doing this? Why do we do something like Greater? Well, it's because our mission, our our mission of helping people find their way back to God. if we're gonna help people find their way back to God, that means more and more people are going to be coming. And we've got to make more and more room for the people that you're making disciples of that are finding their way back to God here at Genesis. And uh, it's caused us, that mission has caused us to take every big step we've ever taken as a church over the years, and it's time to do it again. And we have a responsibility to to follow God and to put our trust in him, to make sure that he knows that we find our security in him. And just like God has something greater for our church, he's got something greater for your life as well. And I know most of us don't like it when churches talk about money. And I can tell you as a pastor, it's not what I dream about. I don't go to sleep at night going, man, I can't wait till our next money series. So I can challenge people to give more money. It's not why I became a pastor. Um, But I wanna tell you that this series is not about money. It's about how we can leverage all of our resources to advance God's kingdom. This includes the way we spend our time and the way we invest in others and the way we use our unique giftings to serve our community. And yes, the way we give generously to help advance the mission and message of Jesus. And my experience has been that most people who complain when we talk about money is because it's an idol for them. It's something that they haven't let go in their lives. And the reason I know that is because that's my story. When I found my way back to God, um, money was the last thing I held on to for myself. I was willing to give God my marriage and give God my kids and to give God everything else in my life. And the, my money was the last thing that I kept a grip on. And it wasn't until I could loosen my grip on that and live open handedly when it came to my finances that I could be fully surrendered to him. He doesn't need our money, he wants our full surrender. And so as a church, let's open our ears and open our eyes and open our minds and open. We've let God speak into your heart over these next six weeks. We have a chance as a church to do even more for the Lord. And so here's what I wanna do. Here's how I wanna close. Two challenges for you over the next six weeks. One, would you commit to be here every week for the next six weeks? Um, if you got kids back in Gen Kids, they're getting a gift this week and they'll get one every week that they're here. If you're here, you get the gift of, well, hearing great stories and uh, getting to hear what the Lord's gonna do in our church. And so we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll express more of that vision over the next few weeks. And the second thing is uh, March 22nd is commitment weekend. And so would you be praying towards that, uh, that day? In fact, there's a prayer on page 18 in your booklet. It's at the page of, at the top of all the message notes. It's every week we want you to pray the same prayer. Would you be praying over the next six weeks this prayer? Father, I'm trusting you with my life and we're trusting you as a church family. Help me to go wherever you lead me. I want you to be greater and I want to be less. You know, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect either. And what Abraham was asked to do, challenged to do and did through plenty of ups and downs, uh, Jesus would come along and do perfectly one day. Jesus was asked to leave his father's house, a, a place of security and to go into the unknown. And he did so gladly for you and for me. Jesus left his father so that we could have a father. He left his home so that we could have a permanent home with God. He's the one calling you to follow. He's the one who left everything for you. Will you have the courage to leave it all for him? You can let go of your security blanket because you have all the security you need in Christ. In just a moment, um, we're gonna close with a song. But before we do, if you still got your booklet open, page 18, there's three questions at the bottom. Uh, what I wanna do, and maybe the way we'll end most of the weeks of this series is just challenge you to take a couple moments and reflect on what you've heard today and answer those three questions. There should be a pen and the seat back's in front of you there. Grab that and just take a couple minutes to reflect on what you've heard, answer those questions. And then the band will come, and come out and close with a song.